Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, send your Holy Spirit to visit us that we may be purified by your refining love and set free from every sin that we may run the race of holiness and be fit for the kingdom of heaven. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, let's start with the question. Raise your hand. You don't really have to. But, but raise your hand if you came to church this morning hoping to hear Jesus say, I'm going to set the earth on fire. And I'm going to cause division among your families. And by the way, you hypocrites. Is that what we were hoping to hear this morning in the lesson? Clearly, he has not read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence the People. All kidding aside, these are hard sayings that Jesus has spoken. Hard sayings of Jesus can turn people off to the Christian faith. But if rightly understood, they might just set us on fire for the Christian faith. So I'd like to start this morning by taking us back a couple of chapters in Luke's Gospel. About two months ago, you may recall, our Gospel reading was from Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. And in it, a very interesting exchange took place between Jesus and His disciples. It is the passage where Jesus had resolutely set His face toward Jerusalem. In other words, He was turning toward His crucifixion, and He was setting His gaze upon what He must do for the salvation of the world, enduring the cross and its shame, as the author of Hebrews writes. And the text goes on to tell us that it's precisely because He set His face toward Jerusalem that many people would not receive Him. In other words, as Jesus turned toward the cross, there were many who turned away from Him. And, of course, that seems to have upset the disciples greatly, or at least considerably. I mean, wouldn't it have upset you if you had been with Jesus considering the things that He has said and the things that He has done? In other words, teaching about love, healing the sick, casting out demons, not to mention raising the dead back to life. Wouldn't that have upset you just a little bit? So perhaps naturally, when the disciples see people turn away from Jesus, they turn to Him in frustration and they say this, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume these people? I mean, that's that's what they said to Him when they saw that. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume these people? Now, I'm, I'm not sure whether Jesus wanted to laugh or to cry at this one, These guys couldn't even take one step on the water without keeping their eyes fixed on Jesus. How on earth were they going to call down fire from heaven to consume the people? But the interesting observation is this. The disciples weren't totally wrong. They weren't totally wrong because here is Jesus and He's working to undo all kinds of evil in the world. And it certainly seemed that the judgment of God was building to a climactic conclusion. And the evils on this earth would finally be eliminated. In other words, could this in fact be the long 
awaited, long expected rule and reign of God ushered in through His Messiah finally come where justice and peace would reign on the earth. Could this be it? Well, and if so, they, I mean, they just wanted to speed things up a little bit, right? I mean, can we say that we're really any different? Let's just go ahead and torch the bad guys, right? I mean, they're, they're already headed to the lake of fire. We're just going to give them the fast pass to get there a little earlier. And now, look at what Jesus himself is saying this morning. He's saying that he has indeed come to cast fire upon the earth. Could it be that the disciples felt just a little bit vindicated when Jesus himself speaks these words? I mean, even if he had rebuked them for their words earlier, okay, maybe, maybe we don't get to call down the fire, but now the boss is going to call down the fire. And, and either way, we're going to sort this thing out, right? We're going to figure out finally who's in and who's out. Let's get on with it, right? Well, thank God that the disciples weren't in charge. Thank God that I'm not in charge. In fact, thank God that none of us is in charge. And thank God that Jesus is in charge. Thank God that Jesus is in charge. Because if we're honest with ourselves, and I'll certainly be honest with myself, we can be a lot more cavalier in our attitude toward human life than we have any business being. We can be a lot more cavalier in our attitude toward human life than we have any business ever thinking about being. You see, all of those lives that the disciples wanted to torch, well, they were someone's mother, or father, or brother, or sister, or son, or daughter, or sibling, or friend. They were people just like us, right? Just as it is with some of the lives that you and I want to torch sometimes. And in fact, didn't Jesus say something somewhere about loving our enemies and praying for, not against, praying for those who persecute us? And, and what about rejoicing when we ourselves are persecuted? Those are all things that Jesus has said to those who would follow Him. You see, my friends, when it gets right down to it, the deeper truth is this. God alone is the author and giver of life. Let me do that again. God alone is the author and giver of life, and He gets to make just as many people as He wants to. And they all, we all, all of us belong to Him. And in spite of what it looks like out there sometimes, God really is in charge. We just can't always see it because we're finite. We're, we're limited. Our perspective is very short-sighted sometimes. But rest assured that God, who is infinite, most definitely sees all things and knows all things and has the power to accomplish exactly what He wants to. In fact, He intends to call down fire from heaven. A fire that he himself intends to kindle, as Jesus said this morning. A fire that he hopes will rage throughout the whole earth. So now, what about this fire that Jesus is talking about? The fire, in fact, is the fire of his love. Let me say that again. The fire that Jesus is talking about is the fire of his love. It burns for you. It 
burns for me. I mean, think about when you love someone, how deeply your heart burns for that person. If you're a parent, your child, right? And that's the most appropriate image here. But if you're a spouse or a brother or a sister, well, maybe not when you're a teenager, but as you mature, think about how deeply that love for another person burns within your heart. You see, my friends, the fire of God, is not, it's not meant to reduce us to ashes. Rather, it's meant to refine us and to restore us into His likeness and image. Let me give you a few scriptures here. Ezekiel 18.23 says this, God does not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he turn from his wickedness and live. Malachi 3.3 says this, God will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that their offerings to him will be filled with righteousness. The word from Jeremiah this morning, how God's word is like a fire. The word from the author of Hebrews about how God disciplines those whom he loves. Right? Sometimes he does chastise or rebuke or correct so that as St. Timothy says or Paul says to Timothy, we can be trained in righteousness according to his word. God's love burns for you and for me like a consuming fire, raging and roaring to melt the hardness in our hearts, sifting and sorting to separate the sin from the goodness in our soul. And my friends, that's the only way, right? That's, that's the only way to separate the dross from the gold, is to heat it up and to melt it down. So, perhaps you have come here with a hardened heart this morning. Someone has done you wrong, or you're seeing the atrocities in this world, and you're tired of it. You've had enough, and you're ready to get out the blowtorch and do something about it. Maybe, let's probe just a little bit deeper. Maybe you're frustrated with God. Maybe that evil that keeps happening in your life and in the world, why doesn't He just fix it? Why doesn't He just do something about it? Well, I'd like to suggest to you, beloved, that He is doing something about it. He is doing something about it. And what He has done is He has sent Jesus to cast fire upon the earth. The fire of His refining love. A love that is meant to purify us. To lead us by His kindness and His mercy to repentance and to faith. Let us consider these words from St. Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Hear these well and very carefully with spiritual ears. Paul writes, Don't you see? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, the next time we want to cast that fiery look towards someone, we would do well to remember how God looks upon us. He could immediately cast His fiery judgment upon the earth and consume all of us, and it would totally do that. But it's only intended to consume our sin. 
It's only intended to melt out of us the unrighteousness so that righteousness may remain and be presented to him as an offering in his sight. Now, I want to transition to my closing in this way. Perhaps you didn't come here expecting to hear Jesus talk about fire and division and hypocrisy and all of those kinds of things. But my friends, these are the facts. Sometimes the Son of God speaks hard words to us because He simply wouldn't get our attention any other way. In other words, the alternative would be to say, which is what we see often in our culture, I'm okay, you're okay, forget about the guy hanging on the cross up there, right? I mean, that's where so much of our world is right now, justifying ourselves and our actions. But God will have none of it. God will have none of it. He speaks the truth to us. So Jesus uses tough words sometimes. Remember perhaps the woman at the well. He spoke very harshly to her in some sense, but it doesn't mean that He didn't love her. It means that He did love her. And so He told her the truth. He loved her too much to leave her in her sinful condition, so He told her the hard facts and the difficult truths about herself. And here's what she could have done. She could have run away, refusing to be refined by His love. But that's not what she did do. Instead, she chose Jesus. And the result is that she repented and she believed. And in fact, she did much more than that. You know the story. She, she actually ran back to the very people who had scorned her and shunned her because of her sinful ways, she ran back and she said to them, I want to tell you about a man who told me everything that I ever did. This man, this man is the Savior of the world, right? Because he told me the truth. And he didn't condemn me. He offered me a better way, a new life. My friends, that's how it works. Some will accept the refining fire of God's love and some will refuse it. And that's where the division comes in and we just have to be prepared to live in that tension until He resolves it. It's not our job to resolve it. It's His job to resolve it. And as I have said and will continue to say, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose hell because they refuse to be refined. And so what they find when they arrive is the fire of God's love is still burning, only they receive it as burning against them because of the terrible choice that they've made to refuse to be refined. So here's the point of this that I'd like to say to you. God is good. God is good. He has created us out of His goodness, and He has created us to be like His goodness. And the good news given to us in Jesus' words today is simply this. Since we have fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, Jesus is working to recreate us into the likeness and image of God, to clean off of our sin and to restore the shine in, his, in our hearts that we might reflect Him in the world. That's what He's doing. And that's the fire that Jesus comes to light. And beloved... This is what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's the fire that He's ultimately talking about. And when we get that, and I mean really get that, we can't help but run with it like wildfire, spreading it to the ends of the earth, just like in the book of Acts, 
And that, my friend, is what I want this church to be all about. That's the vision God has given me for this church. Fanning into flame the fire of God's love. This is what it means to be purified by His fire. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you and I have received the purification of God's fiery love, it races through our veins and it runs through us to the end of the earth. You see, the good news of the gospel is that if we're willing to accept His refining fire, we can be free. We can truly be set free from the bondage of every sin and weight that holds us down even unto death. Jesus said these words, If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So I want to finish by extending this invitation to you. Would you like to know what it means to be made in the image of God? I mean, really dig down and understand what it means to be made in the image of God. To truly understand the life that it is that Jesus said that He came to give us. You see, my operating paradigm is this. Most, if not all, of the real problems that we face in this world today have to do with the degrading of human dignity. Let me say that again. Most of the problems that we face in this world today, the real ones, have to do with the degrading of human dignity. Murder, rape, abortion, war, homosexuality, racial tensions, economic injustice. All of these are the result of a distorted view of ourselves and of God. So one of the ways that we can make a difference here at Christ the Redeemer is to actually address these kinds of issues. But not just taking them topic by topic, but by starting with first principles, if you will. Discussing what it means to be made in the image of God and seeing the whole picture by which we can talk about the particular parts. So I'm building toward this, if you'll advance the slide. I've been praying and thinking a lot about what our Sunday school might be this fall, and God confirmed it in some very awesome and benevolent and generous ways this week. This year's Sunday school class I'm pleased to present is titled, In the Image of God, He Made Them. In the image of God, He Made Them. And all of the moral and ethical implications of this most fundamental truth given to us right there in Genesis chapter 1, in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. What does it mean to be made, created in the image of God? What are the ways that we have distorted that image? These, I believe, are the most significant concerns that we face as human beings. And my friends, I'm a firm believer that the good news of the gospel wins. It wins, it wins, it wins. The good news of the gospel is what wins. And we Christians are mandated by God Himself to share it and commissioned to teach them to obey all that He has commanded us. Among other things, I want Christ the Redeemer to be known as a place of teaching excellence. Teaching for transformation, you might say. Giving people the Christian information that leads to transformation and amendment of life that we might experience the abundant life that God has given to us. So if you think 
that this has value for you, and if you think that it might have value for a friend, well, you've got four weeks now to advertise and promote the class, as you'll see us start to write about it. Let it sink into your heart and mind for yourself. Think about those who you might want to invite into this class. It's going to be provocative, and it's going to be informative, and God willing, it's going to be transformative. All we can do is start right here with what God has given us, right? With the talent that He's given us here and see if we can multiply it into five, into ten. In the image of God, He made them. I'll leave you with that meditation as we transition to the next part of the service. In the image of God, He made them.